Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, man. Hey, Danny. We're back. We're back, baby. We're back. We've taken a little break. Haven't been recording for a little while. You've both been very busy. You've been seeing a lot of films, especially you. I've seen a lot of films. London Film Festival just happened. What's your verdict? Danny, on this year's festival compared to the last two that you've been to? I think it was a very good festival and the programmers did a great job. I think, like, in general, I think the average was, like, of movies I've saw was, like, a little lower. But that's only because there's been a few disappointments from the sort of heavy hitters, some of the gala big-name directors. Once, up to their usual high standards. <laughs> More on that in the year when these movies are released. We'll be leaking out our, our opinions about the various films from the festival. But a few, know. like, really, really home runners. Yeah. Um, should we give any, like, things to look forward to, like, particular... Well, the thing is, I watched 49 films, and the movies I most recommend are the hugely acclaimed ones, but those hugely acclaimed directors, which well, you're going to see anyway. That's what people want to know, you know? So you I... don't have to seek out the best film of the year as some kind of obscure gem <laughs> that, you know, yeah, yeah. you can't find anywhere. Uh, so the the best movies I saw were Burning, the Lee Chang Dong movie, which was a huge hit at Cannes, If Bill Street Could Talk, which is Barry Jenkins' follow-up to Moonlight, and Roma, the Alfonso Cuaron movie easily the free best i would say yes well i saw all of those films and they were very good i also they were also the best of the much smaller number of films that i saw <laughs> so there you go uh but i yeah i missed out on seeing sorry to bother you uh, oh that's ec- that's excellent which i'm also very much looking forward to seeing but that was all kind of eclipsed the other night um when i sat down in front of netflix to watch about three quarters of the duff have you seen the duff i've not seen the duff you haven't seen the duff no i've not seen it uh came out about 2015 it's like a high school comedy starring Mae Whitman, like a sort of rom-com thing. And it's another one of those like comedies based around uh, like rules of high school, like American high school life. Yeah. And in this one, the premise is that she finds out she's got these two like hot friends and uh, she finds out that she is their designated ugly fat friend, D-U-F-F, Duff. Already Mae Whitman is not ugly or fat, so... Well, the Just hot guy who calls her the duff explains to her that it doesn't have to be literally a duff or something. But right. I feel like maybe that's just an excuse. But yeah, whatever. She's not like a total babe. I mean, everyone at this high school is clearly in their late 20s. <laughs> um, so yeah, they just sort of cast adult models and you know put them in high school. But uh, yeah, she basically then is tutored by this sort of hot jock who looks just like disconcerting like Tom Cruise, I think into how to be like more cool or something so she doesn't have to be the duff anymore right okay anyway she eventually finds out that none of that really matters and it's all about being yourself and her and the tom cruise look alike fall for each other such a 90s movie premise 
I thought like post like twenty one Jump Street, which made a whole point about how society has changed and the whole like jock and babes archetype was a thing of the past. Yeah, well, she does like reference in the beginning how she thought that uh, the school wasn't like that anymore, and all the jocks play video games now, and uh, you know whatever the nerds rule the world and stuff like that. Um, so it does kind of reference that, but then she kind of explains that people still fall into these categories. But one of the things that was kind of funny about it is that it is clearly trying to be this deeply, really, really contemporary type of film. Like a lot of the things revolve around people on their phones and, and stuff like that. And there's like a scandal that happens in the school when like an embarrassing video of her goes viral. Oh no! And it's the, the way that the kids use technology is like contrasted with the sort of lame teachers. There's like gags based on the fact that like teachers don't know what apps are or something like that. But like <laughs> lame. the way that this, this, the kids in the movie talk about it is also clearly written by like a 45 year old man who just like have not, you know, has no idea about anything this stuff so when like these two girls are talking about the viral video that's like the embarrassing one of uh may whitman they're like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna forward this to all my friends and then the other one is like viral viral like just we're gonna this we're this is in that's gone in the viral column yeah like i've put this in my box marked make viral and we're gonna do that so is it is it better or worse than if bill street could talk well, it's much better than that. Uh, yeah. Um, because it's more relevant to my life. Sure. I wasn't I wasn't alive in 1970s um, Harlem. I didn't have a beautiful, yeah. stunningly emotional, intense romance at that time. The problem is there was a lack of a white male gaze in that movie. That really threw me off. Right. Precisely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only male character, like white male character in the film, basically, was Ed Scrine. Oh, there's the lawyer as well. And there's Dave Franco. Uh, there's a few white, male and white <laughs> males in the movie. All right, maybe it is more relevant than I thought, but not as many as there were in The Duff. Right. Which really spoke to me on you know, a much more profound level. It's beautiful. I'll, go, I'll do ch- check it out. Definitely check out The Duff. <laughs> <laughs> Got to watch that. Yeah. I mean, anyway, Sam, not to stop you from talking more about The Duff. But... I actually have more notes about The Duff, but it's all right. We can save them for later. Um, it's been so long since I've been in your room with a couple of mics. I mean, what are, what are we even doing? What is this podcast about? I'm not surprised it's just, you know, you've forgotten. And I'm happy to remind you, Danny, the Film Chat is a podcast all about a weird black goo that does unexpected things. It can put a little weird worm inside your eyeball for example can also turn you into a sort of mutant zombie crab under certain circumstances and it can also make you pregnant with a terrifying squid creature and you have to perform a cesarean on yourself to get rid of it and that creature itself it can also kind of make incubate an alien that it itself kind of gives birth to a bit later on and the podcast is going to follow the adventures of the goo from its time inside a cylinder on an alien planet to being put inside a drink by an android as a kind of like spike um, to going into various human bodies and wreaking havoc inside them. Uh, the goo also contains the secrets of the origins of human life or something, I believe. I don't recall exactly what's up with the goo, to be honest, but <laughs> we're working it out as the podcast is made. It has a very lovely time throughout. It's very lighthearted is what I would be saying if this wasn't goo-centered adaptation of uh, Prometheus, the 2012 Ridley Scott alien spin-off film. Uh, instead, this is just a podcast in which you talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, the human equivalent of that fucking goo <laughs> <laughs> from Prometheus, yeah. Dan- Danny Moran. Multifaceted, uh, adaptable. <laughs> Th- thanks for the compliment. Powerful. <laughs> Powerful. To be feared. <laughs> yeah, to be feared and admired. <laughs> So anyway, on this episode, we finally review our most anticipated film of the year, Venom, in which Tom Hardy plays a barely comprehensible, weird, 
manic entity who was taken over by an alien symbiote. <laughs> See what I did there? Plus, we also review Mandy, the new film by Panos Cosmotos, starring Nicolas Cage. Oh, Mandy, a trippy and shallow revenge film. And the title of it is Mandy. I was going to make the whole song scan, but I, I don't know. Is there, does there, is there more to that melody? <laughs> just, I don't know. <laughs> just cycles around that. <laughs> just cycles around that for a bit. Uh, plus, we discuss Luca Guadagnino's latest weird-sounding project. And now that we've seen Venom, we start our anticipation for 2019's best film, which undoubtedly will be Tom Hooper's version of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats. All of which should leave me just enough time to tell you about my latest internet campaign, for Netflix to reverse their crazy decision to cancel Iron Fist and Luke Cage. So go to www.clenchthefistopenthecage.org and sign a petition. Shouldn't take more than an hour. It's very thorough. <laughs> it goes into a lot of details about why uh, Netflix are like stupid, stupid cucks, you know, and um, <laughs> and Iron Fist and Luke Cage are, are what we need to stop the, the libs from winning. Nice. Don't know why I've put this alt-right spell in this. <laughs> yeah, it's not, not, not quite necessarily clear. in there, but... Not really necessarily part of the shows, but <laughs> <laughs> something I want to graft onto them. <laughs> I guess that's why, it's, that's why it takes an hour to get a bigger stuff on it. Yeah. Correspondence, we got a tweet from Mick Patrick, our friend, loyal listener. Um, he recommended a film for us to see at London Film Festival. He tweeted, at Film Chat Podcast, you guys going to see Dublin Old School at London Film Fest? Saw it in Ireland. Loved it. Great to hear your take with the thumbs up emoji. Of course, this film became one of our most anticipated movies of the festival as a result of this tweet. Danny and I were desperate to see every other film that was on at that slot. They all looked great, but we were like, no. No. We've got to see Dublin Old School. It's been recommended to us specifically. If it hadn't been, I probably would have seen some of these other great movies. But because it was this one, and we're going to go and see it. Um, and so we went We went to see it. <laughs> <laughs> we went to see it. <laughs> we, went, we, we sat, sat down, 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 the, sat down the seats. We were like, the film's about to start, and we're going to watch it. And we watched the whole film. <laughs> From beginning to end. And I just wanted to say thanks for your correspondence, Mick. <laughs> <laughs> just really appreciate it. Really, just really nice so you can get in touch. <laughs> okay, moving on. Say, so that's all. <laughs> so that's all we were going to say so, on that. All we're going to say about that. And Dublin Old School is a film <laughs> that, that was made and will probably be coming out. <laughs> and we watched it. <laughs> well, you know, this question puts us in a real moral quandary because 
we really appreciate you listening to the podcast, man. Like, <laughs> we, we, we genuinely have great affection for the people who listen regularly because, of course. you know, it's not the most polished of podcasts at times. There are other podcasts to listen to, and we appreciate your return listenership. However, Dublin Old School is like, <laughs> was easily the worst film I saw at that <laughs> festival. And I saw 49 films. You know, movies that are like food or music, all right? You like what you like, but objectively, this film... <laughs> I really we, we 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 didn't get on board with it, Mick. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, we but didn't. We didn't much care for we it. We didn't much care for it. Well, no, I don't think most people listening will necessarily see this film. But basically, my you know, it's not to dwell on it too long. But my my sort of take on it is that it's a kind of bender movie. It takes place over a long weekend from um, Friday morning all the way through to Monday morning, basically. Yeah. And um, it's about this sort of dude who's like a raver in dublin and all and like he takes a lot of drugs and like gets drunk and uh, does a bit of djing um and he hangs out with like his friends who just also share that lifestyle as far as i can tell and he's got like a down and out brother who he's like attempting to reconnect with at the same time as he's kind of going from gig to gig and like just refusing to like fucking brush his teeth unless it happens off screen um so it's it's based on a play and the main guy in it wrote the play um and then like stars in the film and uh the whole culture of it just does not speak to me whatsoever and it feels like something of a relic of like 90s something from the 90s yeah i mean Um, it reminded me of human traffic uh which is another bender movie where like people live for the weekend and then get high and falling out of love or what have you but it just yeah it did feel dated because like maybe i'm just old and i'm just not part of the scene but it's like it just i don't know it didn't see the appeal of the lifestyle well i think didn't have a take on it well, I don't know. I, I felt like there was it was oddly caught between a kind of more gritty depiction of a deeply destructive and like self-destructive lifestyle um, and a kind of celebration of it. Uh, and it ended up in this weird middle ground where I didn't it was kind of like celebrating the joy of the rave or something. Yeah. But also showing this to be a hollow and ultimately sad way to conduct yourself. And so I think it lacked the kind of pep of the sort of skins episode style thing, which would just be like totally bonkers the whole time. And also the bite of something which is going to really show the consequences of like drug abuse over a long period, which is from what I can tell, it seems to be quite a serious problem that he has, but he seems to be basically fine. I mean, you know, I'd be dead if I spent a weekend like that, but I don't know. You know, maybe <laughs> just not made of the stern stuff of these people. Are. I mean, there was a bit in like day three where he like snogs somebody and I was like, this dude has not literally has not been to bed. He hasn't had a shower. He hasn't had anything to eat. <laughs> and he's just been drinking and like taking drugs for like three fucking days. He has not regularly throwing. His... Up. I don't want to dr- like dwell on the brushing the teeth thing. But he's not brushed his teeth. And that must be the most disgusting kids of all time. Like basically the first scene someone remarks on how sweaty he is and he does not clean up at any point from then on. So I was like, this, the film has got to acknowledge what a grotesque kiss this must be for this person. But she seems to be cool with it. So I was like, this is, you know, just doesn't make sense. That does not make sense. But yeah, I don't know. It's this weird. It's kind of like got these poetic Terrence Malick style voiceovers, which didn't really do anything for me, which probably made more sense on the stage, but just served to like be an attempt to inject a bit of gravitas into what is quite a sort of repetitive cycle of him doing all this shit. I was just a bit like, just go home, mate, make yourself a cup of tea, have like a salad, you know. have a shower have a shower just do some normal human shit you know take take like you could do all that in like an hour and then i would feel a bit more on board with the rest of this just just give yourself a little bit of time (laughs) so that's my review of it (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm so, Mick, we didn't care for it. On this, we are yeah. divided. I don't know if we've tried to make too big of a deal out of the fact we didn't like it. <laughs> so just next time you recommend us something... It better be good! better be good! Yeah, that means like... Um, so one film out of 50, so that's like 2% of your film-watching experience. Ruined. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it was worse than Beautiful Boy. That was the worst film that I saw at the festival, but you didn't see that one. I didn't see that one. So that was pretty bad as well. So I wouldn't, you know. Another film about drugs. Also a film about drugs. Just bad movies about drugs this year. There's a little running theme happening at the festival. And as yeah, one film likes kind of saying drugs are good. One film is saying drugs are bad. And now I don't know what to believe. Films are bad. That's what I've decided. <laughs> <laughs> but please don't let this, you know, assuage anybody else from recommending anything to us. I feel this is a bad, you know, <laughs> note to strike. Like anytime we recommend a film, we hate it. I think next time we're gonna, you know, yeah. Next time if it comes up, someone recommends a movie and we don't like it, I think we should just probably just, you know, discuss it in a rather matter of fact way rather than turning it into a whole like melodrama about, you know, with someone's friendship on the line. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a better way of doing it. <laughs> But anyway, it's the uh, fruit basket uh, will be on its way to you, Mick, uh, the apology basket, begging you to still listen to this podcast, um, along with a 1,500-page um, essay about why you were wrong to like this film. Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated, Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped, Matt Damon's in a viral vid, Michael Bay's made a mint, that's the news that's fit to print. Luca Guadagnino. Uh, he's got his remake of Suspiria coming out. I've seen it. Which Danny has seen, which I have not seen. And we'll be talking about it later. Not gonna okay. Have, not going to have any takes on that now. Um, but he's already prepping an upcoming project, which is going to be an adaptation of the seminal 1975 Bob Dylan album, Blood on the Tracks. The One of the producers of Call Me By Your Name apparently bought the film rights to the album and asked uh, Guadagnino to direct, to which he agreed on the condition that a specific screenwriter wrote the script. And that script now exists. This guy is called Richard Lagravanese, or Lagravanese, perhaps. He's also written The Fisher King and Behind the Candelabra, that um, movie about... Liberace. Liberace, exactly, um, and Beloved. It is not like a narrative album, I guess, Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks. Yeah. But it's sort of rich in image, imagery and stuff, like all of Dylan's work. So yeah. I guess Themes. there's a lot of stuff to pick out that you can turn into a movie if sure. you're so inclined. What do you make of this as a project? It just sounds very strange. I didn't realize you could buy the film rights to an album. Perhaps you just do anything you if you've got, you got a bit now. of money. <laughs> I mean, you often hear about directors saying they listen to certain music while writing, you know, inspired them. I think... I remember like Paul Thomas Anderson saying, listen to like early Neil Young albums when he's writing and Harry Vice. But it's just an odd, doing it the wrong way around, isn't it? Like write the story first and then like if the music, the song fits. Yeah. I, I don't know. It just sounds like a really sort of a counterproductive, counterintuitive way of making a movie. Well, there's something odd about the, the gestation of the project in that it's not like somebody like a writer sat down and was really inspired by this album to craft a narrative, but that a producer bought the rights and then sought <laughs> someone out and was like, turn this into a story, which is a much like bigger ask, isn't it? If you're yeah. a professional writer and someone like turns to you and it's just picked something up from the record store and was like, make a film of this. <laughs> <laughs> just make a film of just it. Just make a film of this. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were a writer. Fucking right. Yeah, exactly. Get to it. According to The New Yorker, the screenplay takes place over several years in the 1970s and will 
quote, dramatise the repression of its central characters. So it's going to dramatise some repression. In the 1970s, it's going to be a Woody Allen film. Right. Well, is it the idea that the album captured something about 1975 and they're going to just try and one can only ass- that? One can only assume. I do like how Luca Guadagnino... Guadagnino. How, yeah. how, how, how do you pronounce his name? his name, you know, he's not really resting on his laurels. He got yeah. a lot of, like, you know... I feel like he made it into the upper A-list with his, like, Oscar nom for Call Me By Your Name. And he's like, I shall now remake Suspiria and I'll make it two and a half hours long and half the people who see it will hate it. And then, like, now I'm going to make this crazy movie about the blood and the tricks or whatever, like... I guess it's... Know, using his cachet for some weird stuff. It's following a sort of a pattern of him making films which are based on, like, his engagement with, like, other stuff that he presumably admires mm. you know and like doing the guadagnino take on it like he, a bigger splash was a remake and suspiria is a remake and call me by your name is an adaptation of a novel now he's adapting an album yeah you know What's he's, gonna just, adapt he's next? just taking like you One know of our tweets maybe well like yeah and call me by your name is maybe slightly different because he has a biographical connection to the mo- to the um novel's source material and i don't think it was like super famous but a bigger splash than suspiria obviously both famous acclaimed movies well it was the swimmer right it was the movie yeah. that he was remaking with the biggest splash and bob dylan's obviously super famous so it does seem like another kind of it's like i will give the guadagnino take now on this the you know the latest master like acclaimed masterpiece so yeah he's certainly somebody who like i will happily see him riff on whatever other random cultural object he decides to adopt next but. It would be amusing if he did like a very literal adaptation of the album's lyrics, you know, like the first someone has to be tangled up in blue in the first 10 minutes, whatever that means. And like, like caught in a shower curtain. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I have to say, although I would love to go on a long comic riff about on this subject, I don't really know that album. That's the, that's the famous single. I can't really recall the others. Well, we don't it. have the tracks in front of us. So there's going to be no Dylan riffing here. I don't know this shit well enough. Let me know Dylan riffing here today. <laughs> Move on. Well, you're welcome to to go for it, but I'm not. I'm not. No, that's that's it. That's it. That's well, all we I did had. a good job. We I think. <laughs> We've done our bit. We've done our bit, haven't we? Talking of genius auteurs and music, Angela Webber's Cats is going to be made into a film by visionary director Tom Hooper, visionary of King's Speech, Danish Girl, La Miserable. I mean, he's already he's already did the definitive. I mean, did you see that movie? It's not at all shit. That's what I heard. <laughs> I saw. I caught about like forty minutes of it on TV over Christmas last year, and I didn't really care for it. Yeah, I don't like him at all. I find his career quite odd in that he just seems like a, like anyone could have directed the King's Speech, but that he won a Best Directing Oscar, and now he's sort of he's a big deal. He's a big deal, but I don't think his films really reflect his yeah, stature the King, in the, the industry. The King's Speech was a bit of a strange oscar winner really because it felt like it just could have come out on bbc like you know yeah it's one of their dramas and everyone would be like that was all right uh anyway maybe cats is the one to really change my opinion about tom hooper and there's been some exciting casting news this week ian mckellen was already attached and james corden and jennifer hudson was going to play the role of griselda famous for singing the uh memory the one that elaine page based her entire career on (laughs) and uh, joining the ranks is Idris Elba is going to play McCavity, who was the sort of nominal villain of the original stage version. And Judy Dench is on to play Deuteronomy, who is uh, the sort of head honcho. And there's a connection to the original stage production of Cats because she was supposed to play Grizabella in the original 1981 West End production, but she snapped a tendon shortly before the previews started and they have to get in a lane page and the rest is musical history. 
I think it sounds bizarre. I think, like, I was reading the Wikipedia page for Cats, which I remember there's, like, a sort of 1998 TV movie, which is, like, a, basically just a film with a production. And I remember watching it as a kid, and I was like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I looked at the Wikipedia page, and I read the story, and it makes no sense whatsoever. So I was like, oh, it wasn't just my eight-year-old brain. It is a completely incomprehensible play because it was based around a series of poems which have no connection to each other. It's just T.S. Eliot wrote some whimsical poems about some cats. Yeah. So, can, I re- can I read a little bit Oh, of please it? do. Uh, Munker's Strap introduces Jenny Any Dots, the old Gumby cat, a large tabby cat, who sits and sits and sits and sits every day, while every night she teaches the mice and cockroaches various activities. However, when Jenny Any Dots finishes her song, the music changes suddenly, and the cats get a visit from the rum-tum tugger himself. He is very fickle and unappeasable, for he will do as he do do, and there's no doing anything about it. As Rum Tum Tugger's song fades, a shabby old grey cat stumbles out and looks around, begging for forgiveness of her sin she made before she was exiled from the tribe years ago. It is Grizabella, uh, and so on. So yeah, it just it just sort of like bumbles along with various like weird stuff. Happening. I mean, there must be. It used to hold the record for the longest running stage play because I think it ran in the West End for twenty one consecutive years. And something similar on Broadway. But I don't think it's really discussed. It's no one's favourite musical. It's got a few memorable songs, but the plot is really weird. And I imagine the whole selling point is that the kind of choreography of people being cats and stuff. I don't know how you would make this into a movie. Is it going to be like a sort of Disney kind of mocap style thing? Oh my, if, am I like, now I'm excited. Well, Idris Elba's played an evil cat before. In, yes. in in sort of like fancy mocap form, and he's a very talented musician, so I'm sure he can <laughs> dance as well if that's required. Yeah, so maybe the maybe that's the route they're going to go. I uh, yeah, I don't, I have no idea. I think they'd have to streamline the plot somehow because it is just like a series of dances and songs. Well, Les Mis was very was very long, wasn't it? His Les Mis movie. Yeah, but there's an appetite out there for a three-hour cast film. (laughs) I just mean there needs to be some sort of clearer narrative than there is in the stage production because, you know, you're just dazzled by the next big song and dance routine, whereas, like, a movie, you kind of need a bit more of a plot to get invested in. So it's just weird, isn't it? Yeah, it is weird. But saying that is my most anticipated film of 2019. (laughs) Yeah, but we like things that are weird. Yeah. You want to be surprised when you go to the movies, don't you? Sure. I want to see what Tom Hooper's going to do with all these, like, cats and, you know, the relatively mediocre music that accompanies their song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't, I don't actually know cats that well, but I do remember that the song Magical Mr. Mistopheles Mr. came up in a GCSE music exam, and I was like, what is this crap? <laughs> <laughs> and I just wrote a little review in the margins <laughs> of my essay. Like, boring melody. Yeah. Why were they teaching that in schools, Mr. Well, no, they weren't teaching it, but there was just some question about, like, you know, pops. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Structures or the right. baseline or it was some something like that, and it somehow came up in my GCSE mm. music exam. We had to a little bit listen to a little bit of it. I just thought it was a bit silly. Didn't much care for it. Um, but yes, of course, this is my most anticipated film of uh, 2019 as well. Um, 
Yeah, the 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 only the thing I thought was mainly of note about Les Mis, and this is obviously a very partial like comment because I've only seen part of that sure. film. Um, I've only got one life, you know, and it's yeah. very long. Um, but it just it was a very like sort of uh, naturalistic take on on it, which seems like a strange choice given the genre of musicals, this kind of like heightened reality, and especially that it's got this like operatic quality where they're constantly singing all all the time um and i thought there was just a fundamental mismatch in the like uh dramaturgy of it yeah because it's um uh sort of brutally grim events that you're watching whereas it's so you lose the kind of sense of spectacle because it's just horrible you know whereas if you're watching it on the stage and it's like a big performance and you're kind of like swept up in the emotion of like someone slightly over the top yeah, like yeah. Acting. It's always it's obviously a bit like heightened and it like the the melodrama of the of the music like matches the like, you know, it on the stage. Whereas if it's all films with like everyone's like really covered in mud and crying the entire time, it's just, you know. I mean I probably it's maybe miserable. I only saw like the most miserable bits of the film, but I yeah. It just seemed like I don't think the pleasures of I Dreamed a Dream really come from seeing someone who looks like they're actually like a dying <laughs> like literally like a dying prostitute. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, I don't think it should be that brutal because it's, like, quite a lyrical, you know, song. It's the sort of thing that you would, like, enjoy and kind of have a nice little cry to, not, like, what, like, be clinging to your seat in the cinema, like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I just think, I just thought he took a weird approach. Do you think but... he's going to go for a massively social realistic <laughs> take on cats? Yeah, maybe. It's going to be maybe. miserable. The cat's, like, poor Griselda, right? She's all, she's all moth-eaten and stuff. <laughs> she's not. She's not that well looked after. She's got a really like nothing tugs on the heartstrings like pets in trouble. Yeah. So maybe he, that is the route he's going to go down. The whole Jesus. thing is going to be like really emphasise like the physical deprivation of animals. Yeah. In a in sort of brutal way. I would say like you know my final my final thing to say about this cats thing, <laughs> but before I go away and just anticipate it, <laughs> is um. Out of all the cast announced, like Jennifer Hudson has an amazing voice, and all the other ones are just like actors who occasionally sing. But like, that's a good casting because she has got incredible pipes. So, if nothing else, her version of memory will probably be really good. Cool. So, looking forward to that because um, now it. I'm going to go and listen to the Dreamgirls soundtrack and look at pictures of cats. <laughs> yep. See you in 45 minutes once <laughs> Daddy and I have spent all that time anticipating this film. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. Is everyone ready? So Venom, this is directed by Ruben Fleischer and written by Jeff Pinker, Scott Rosenberg and Kelly Marcel. Here is the official synopsis. Journalist Eddie Brock, Tom Hardy, is trying to take down Carlton Drake, Riz Ahmed, the notorious and brilliant founder of the Life Foundation. While investigating one of Drake's experiments, Eddie's body merges with the alien Venom, leaving him with superhuman strength and power. Twisted, dark and fueled by rage, Venom tries to control the new and dangerous abilities that Eddie finds so intoxicating. Here is a clip of Eddie after he's just been 
symbiotified with Venom and a man next who lives next to him is playing music very loudly and he goes and asks him to turn it down. Yeah. Hey, can you turn your music down, please? Because I'm having a really hard time. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, sure, man. Yeah, I'll just turn it right down. Thank Sorry. you. Thank you. What you can't see in that clip <laughs> is he becomes a sort of evil rage fang venom. venom face. Yeah. Yeah. So the expectations were very low. It felt like the critics smelt blood on this one. It's done very well at the box office. So yeah, surprisingly, actually. I, I really thought it was going to be a flop, like pretty much from the get-go. I thought it sounded like a stupid idea. The initial trailer didn't even have Venom in it. I was like, they don't have much confidence with this, you know. Uh, and I thought it would, yeah, I just thought it would sink without trace. But I have to say, I think there's something quite impressive in the fact that, like, this is obviously one of those, like, messed with after the fact, like, bizarrely edited films where they've had to, like, fuck with it a ton before releasing it because they were really fretting about it. And loads of people went to see it. So I guess the process does sometimes work. You know, it doesn't always turn out like Justice League style duds. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's because my expectations were so low and it took on a slight underdog status because there was a lot of animosity towards it came out. But I was pretty entertained. I think it doesn't quite work as like an action movie or any kind of other movie, but surely by the <laughs> just charisma of Tom Hardy's typically manic performance, he's kind of really weird before he even bonds with an alien. Yeah, I think if anything, Tom Hardy is doing a more extreme performance than he does in most films. Like He's obviously very well known for turning in eccentric performances where he's got a, a slightly like off-kilter take on the material and you can tell that it's not really on the page, it's all coming from Hardy. Um, and it doesn't always gel with whatever the tone like the film is going for, but it's always like quite compelling to watch. And in this film, which is one of like the most mainstream movies he's ever made, I mean, he's made a few of them, um, but this is certainly very flat and it's like quite sort of a flatly written film with no of none of the characters like they're all very like they're just talking cliches and all that kind of stuff. But he, for some reason, has put huge amounts of effort into uh, into his role. And it's not really coherent, but it is very entertaining. And he basically embraces the sort of slapstick element of the kind of getting used to your powers section of the superhero film, which is like, you know, one of the more fun bits anyway. Yeah. And so Venom is a is a, originally a villain from the Spider-Man universe. He was introduced in like the 90s, I think, or in the, in the 80s. And uh, he has like Spider-Man-esque powers in the main comics because he bonds with like, it's this alien goo that bonds with Spider-Man first and then later bonds with a guy who doesn't like Spider-Man. That's forming a villain. Uh, but he's like taken some of his Spider-Man's powers with him. So he like has a spider symbol on his chest and he swings from webs and stuff. So this kind of version of Venom still shoots out goo in a vaguely web-esque way. Yeah. And the uh, getting used to your powers segment does feel like some kind of like weird riff on like the, the kind of Spider-Man stuff when he's doing the similar, you know, like you remember that movie when he like drags the tray behind him in the canteen and stuff? Yeah. Not, yeah. Um, yeah, and, I remember it. Yeah, you remember it. <laughs> you remember what I was talking about. But it's that kind of, uh, yeah, it's just like a good like 20 minutes of the film or something, which is just various slapstick scenes. First of him becoming increasingly sweaty and ill and smashing shit and like looking really confused and like jumping. He jumps into a lobster tank in a restaurant and he like beats some guys up and he has no idea what's going on. And, you know, it's complete clown like material. But I was like, this is kind of fun. Yeah, it's yeah. like a sort of a buddy comedy with just one guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there's very little else to say about the movie because it is like... 
I think you made a very good point when we were leaving the cinema, and I was thought to myself, I'm going to say this in a month's time, <laughs> where it feels like weirdly cautious. And I think a lot of reviews says like it's like a comic book movie from the late '90s or whatever, which hasn't had another like 30 other comic movies, and the genre is the biggest genre in the world now. But it still feels like it needs to sort of kind of justify itself and sort of you know ex- explain things. And s- whereas you know we've had a movie about a talking tree and a raccoon, but it still feels weirdly anxious. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I was sort of like, I think maybe Tom Hardy said his favorite 40 minutes was cut out of the movie. <laughs> and I would love to see what those 40 minutes are. But the result means that it is very pacey. Like, it doesn't mess around, I think, maybe because some producers like, oh, this might be boring. So they. Yeah, yeah, someone chomping a cigar was sitting in an edit suite just demanding that the scene be moved on to the next one. Like, a lot of the scenes just end in weird places because it feels like there's just no time for this. There's no time for it. And especially like some of the late game kind of uh motivation changes and stuff just make absolutely no sense and they're like papered over with one line of deeply unconvincing dialogue like, <laughs> in a sort of almost overtly comical way and when it gets to the final fight that just kind of comes out of nowhere and it's like oh we're in the climax of the movie now okay. yeah, yeah. yeah sure why not <laughs> yeah you know when, when you're not invested it doesn't really matter all that stuff it's just like yeah okay fine now it was the end you know he's fighting the bad guy yeah a waste of riz ahmed and michelle williams but yeah. maybe not really well I don't know. It's, it's the Tom Hardy show in a way, so you need just these bland people just to give them the space, or these you know these bland characters. Just like you know, there's no room for personality from anyone else in the film. Yeah, Riz Ahmed just delivers like I say a higher than average number of evil monologues. <laughs> Everything he says is an evil monologue. <laughs> it's pretty much, <laughs> pretty much like he pretty much only talks in evil monologues. Which it's is... like every scene is like he thought was like his first scene in the film. He's <laughs> like, okay, here yeah. I am. I've ended the movie, but it's like, yeah, that happens like eight times. <laughs> yes, like... absolutely. And yeah, I think like, well, I do want to explain a little bit like the, the nature of Tom Hardy's performance because we haven't really like talked about it. But he's basically like very, very twitchy and kind of high energy. Talks in this strangely like gravelly but squeaky kind of voice that doesn't, you know, he's it's this odd, like it doesn't really sound, I don't think anybody in the world talks like that. He's kind of it's supposed to be a New York accent, accent but not clear yeah um and from the very beginning of the film he already seems like this slightly like washed up loser guy but he's supposed to be quite a successful investigative journalist (laughs) who's um getting married to a hotshot lawyer in the form of michelle williams uh but like there's a there's a kind of montage of his um investigative journalism he's like a youtube journalist guy and he kind of like confronts people in a sort of Michael Moore-esque, like tracking people down, asking them awkward questions type thing. <laughs> yeah, and like, it just looks really weird. He just, it just looks like he's like a random fucking dude who films himself on his phone, but he's also this acclaimed journalist. It's just very strange. He well, kind of acts like a dumbass. Like, you know, his, the way he does the performance is like, he's an idiot. Well, what sort of interests me about the movie and his casting is like, it re- the character really should be like a mild mannered nerdy guy who develops like like the classic super like superhero thing, but he's like this built like a brick shit house really weird guy who <laughs> develops superpowers, which is not the usual way of doing things. But the movie would be nothing about Tom Hardy, so it's yeah. both strange but winning, I think. Yeah, I mean he's also he does, he's not like an anti hero. He's not like a guy who's like starts out like bad and then learns lessons and then is good by the end or something, or he's not like. You know, the awkward um, uh, dude who learns to stand up to the bully. or I don't know. He's just this weird fucking guy. It's like, why is this guy getting superpowers? Like, <laughs> why is he the hero of the film? <laughs> it's just very strange. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, it's not a good movie, but I did enjoy it. I think 
probably isn't worth your money necessarily, but if it was on TV, it's, there's nothing particularly objectionable about it. And I don't quite see, uh, I don't quite understand the vitriol it's got in some quarters. Yeah, the venom. The, why is where, why has it received so much venom? <laughs> you know, I didn't think of that. Oh god, I'm really rusty. <laughs> I need to get back into my podcasting mode. I would usually be all over that venom pun. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. So. I recommend it. I don't know. I'd say, you know, if you're a fan of Holiday's Turns, then this is this is a must-see. Have a couple of beers and Have go see it. Have a couple of beers and go see it, yeah. When Zach Graff heard something that changed his life, what he listened to? When John Cusack made a mixtape for his future wife, what did she listen to? And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? When Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mandy. This is a uh, film that has received critical acclaim as a kind of cult, uh, awesome movie. It's a sort of offbeat, weird... uh, uh, Acid trip. Acid trip, kind of like revenge thriller thing. Starring Nicolas Cage, directed by Panos Cosmatos. It's set in, 1970, set in 1983, somewhere near the Shadow Mountains. And Nicolas Cage plays a guy called Red Miller, who lives with his girlfriend, Mandy Bloom. He's played by Andrea Riseborough. And he works as a logger. And she like creates fantasy art and reads fantasy novels and listens to metal, which is also the aesthetic of the film itself. And they are uh, basically attacked by this weird Jesus cult, um, and Nicolas Cage subsequently has to sort of go on a mission to defeat the cult and like some weird demons that they've summoned. It's about yeah. it, isn't it? Yeah. Is that a reasonable? Yeah. Can I see the film? Here is a clip. You and that ugly little whore. You think you're so in love? I'll show you love. Lucy? Neil. isn't this weird film weird uh yeah so we were both a little bit disappointed by mandy it's fair to say yeah do, do this, is, my... this is this is a real contrarian episode isn't it venom yeah. venom brilliant masterpiece <laughs> gotta go see it mandy rubbish yeah my very pithy review would be that to me it felt like a more traditional nicholas cage straight to dvd revenge movie where you know he loses his shit and there's a few clips that can you know enter that montage kind of trapped in a sort of quite pretentious not quite Isles movie but like wannabe Hodorowsky movie and where there's like a lot of slow motion a lot of like different colored lights a lot of monologuing about stuff and a very atmospheric score by the late Johan Johansson who previously did Arrival and other films and I think the score is the best bit about the movie but by the end I was like this movie has very little to say and it took a long time to say it 
Yeah. And I was a bit kind of worn out by it. It's got a very strong aesthetic and that's very well implemented. And I think for someone who has a particular set of posters on their bedroom wall, this is probably Nirvana watching it. But it's not something that personally resonates with me. Either like the heavy metal stuff or the kind of 80s secondhand fantasy novel kind of look, you know? Yeah. And I think it just lacked a bit of invention in terms of the staging. It was it was very inventive in terms of its like visual creation, you know, like there's some he has an idea of what's going to happen in like every scene in terms of how it's going to look. So it's filled with kind of visual ideas, but it kind of takes on the quality of an extended music video in a bad way because it's very long. I, well, I don't I don't actually know if it's like it's like well, two, it's two hours long, but it, it just feels very long because everything takes place in slow mo and the plot is like paper thin. And I, I thought that it just could have done with a little bit more ideas in terms of like what happens in the action of the film. Like, I mean, such a film doesn't necessarily have to have like an incredibly detailed and subtle plot with like, you know, fully drawn characters or whatever, because I understand that's not what it's going for. But it just felt very, very straightforward, you know, like sort of low on like surprises. And also, as you say, there's these like long drawled monologues that mean nothing whatsoever. And it just, you know just gets a bit boring like i was kind of bored afterwards i was reminded of uh the joke from garth Marenghi's dark place where <laughs> dean learner says that the episodes are running short so every shot they could put in slow motion they did <laughs> <laughs> as a bit like he promised the producers it'd be two hours long but he made a 90 minute movie and i found it quite flat it's kind of pursuing this atmosphere so singularly that like nothing else can get through and so when like halfway through when the sort of revenge starts it's a bit like he just told Nicolas Cage to like you know do your stuff and the biggest when I saw it it was at the London Film Festival with like a packed audience and the biggest reactions were sort of like the moments of the most Cage acting when he like does the most outlandish sort of like silent movie acting in this you know modern movie yeah pull some of his facial expressions but even when like you know those moments happen there is they're still kind of spaced out with like these long sequences in between us like just when the movie's creeping up to second gear it kind of puts the brakes yeah. on again it's very lugubrious yeah i do think he and andrea reisberg are really good in it and it's almost like they've been given an extreme acting challenge and it's like none of this dialogue makes sense or meanings anything but just sort of view it with something and they're like oh they're very watchable performers and yeah you know yeah, yeah, and, in lesser hands Reisberg's it would be good. really dull uh and it's still pretty dull but <laughs> <laughs> but if there were worse actors it'd, you know there's yeah. no way it would be getting the reaction it is i don't know so yeah i think the you know if you look at the poster and that looks like your kind of movie you might get something out of it but it is two hours long and it should be 90 minutes long i say that's his main yeah black it's- sabbath fan do you read an old fantasy book? Yeah, but a, Black Sabbath songs are like high octane, fast music. That's true. This is not <laughs> at all like that. So if you like to watch so like Black Robbing, proggy, yeah, like uh, techno stuff. If you like to listen to Black Sabbath songs on YouTube with the the speed at 0.25, this is your movie. And but you're weird. You're weird. <laughs> the person who does that, <laughs> fictional person I've made up. So yeah. Also, there's really a obnoxious guy in the London Film Festival kept on talking about it in every queue I was in, and he like was always he's like the ghost of the fucking spectre at the feast, but he wouldn't shut up about Mandy. And then his review of Vox Lux was that was Star is Born for people who aren't retarded. So Jesus struck Christ. me struck me as a very obnoxious man. That so, makes me want to go see a Star is Born and like it better than Vox so Lux. So do you really want to be hanging out with 
that kind of guy. That crowd. That crowd. I'll say one very final comment on this. Do you think it's unfair to say that this film feels a bit too like consciously made to be some kind of cult film that like a specific segment of people will be obsessed with? Yeah. Like the thing that you said about this guy who is like he's already bought the t-shirt of the kind of weird brand of cereal that's advertised. Yeah, yeah. It just feels a bit like it's cult, you know crying out for that to happen with it. You know, I think yeah. I think this is part of the uh like this is kind of another nostalgia movie, you know. Yeah. And I think that takes away from any genuine weirdness because yeah. it's just trying to hark back to a, a part a bygone age when everyone, you know, when a particular section of society was dressing and in a certain way and listening to a certain kind of music and taking these drugs or whatever. So, yeah, not truly weird. Yeah, I think that's a very, very apt point at which to conclude a review on. Thank you. My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen and she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. Danny, we're going to resurrect a feature we've done on the show previously, which is quickfire reviews. Yeah. And uh, in past eras, when you've had a lot of reviews to get get out there, you know, because yeah, yeah. you've seen a lot of films in a compressed space of time, we've asked you to review films in about yeah, 30 yeah. seconds. However, you've just seen 49 films... <laughs> So the time compression will be extreme. Okay. And you will only have time to basically say good or bad. But yeah. you guess you can choose whatever adjective sure. you like. Okay, so are we ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. Here we go. Wildlife. Good. Crystal Swan. Bad. School's out. Uh, okay. <laughs> Support the girls. Good. Arctic. Eh. Gin. Shit. <laughs> Borders. Uh, <meh. laughs> Woman at War. Good. Assassination Nation. Oh, so shit. <laughs> Asako, one and two. Dull. Petra. Pretentious. The Guilty. Um, Is that it? (laughs) Overhyped. Alright, I'm going to make a rule. It's got to be a word. Okay. Knife and heart. Derivative. Suburban birds. (sighs) Shit, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) That was okay. Tumbad. Uh, Wasting my time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Realm. Good. Realm's good. Unsettlement. Um, just a bit wanky. Mandy. Bad. Bad. Uh, girl. Great. Thunder Road. Uh, promising debut. Ash is purest white. Too long. <laughs> Widows. Nah. Sorry to bother you. Great. Happy New Year, Colin Burst. Great. The Ballad of Buster Scrubs. Great. The Spy from the North. Okay. Dottie gets spanked. Great. Superstar. The Karen Carpenter story. Great. Roma. Great. This is a good Yeah, a good run. The Hummingbird Project. Ah, rubbish. Vox Lux. Disappointing. Being Frank. The Chris Seavey story. Great. Birds of Passage. A little disappointing. Sunset. Bewildering, but I think great. Suspiria. Uh, middling. The Green Fog. I thought you liked Suspiria. I liked it okay. Hmm. The Green Fog. Uh, yeah. Fun. Bit unsubstantial. Peter Lou. Disappointing. Happy as Lazaro. Uh, bad ending. Long journeys day into night. Ugh, tedious as fuck. <laughs> Dublin old school. Shit. Uh, burning. Brilliant. The Great Victorian Picture Show. Uh, okay. If Beale Street Could Talk. Brilliant. Fantastic, that was. In Fabric. Great. The Sister Brothers. Fun. Diamantino. Okay. The Private Life of Henry VIII. Great. The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. 
Better than I thought. And Blaze. Boring. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Thank you, Danny. Thank you, listeners, for enjoying all those reviews. 49 movies. Very impressive. Making the next 100 episodes of Film Jet completely <laughs> irrelevant. 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 We won't be seeing any more films. Join uh, us next week for some more movies. Do you want to go see Hunter Killer? That, that Gerald Butler movie with uh, Gary Oldman? Yeah, sure. <laughs> like they're in submarines or something? Yes. I actually was drawn to The Hate You Give. Oh, yeah, yeah. Apparently that is rather good. So I was tempted by that. And I also kind of want to see A Star Is Born because it might be an Oscar movie and I feel like yeah, yeah, we should go I'll be watching that. those. So yeah, I'm sure we're going to see something. And uh, glad to be back. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Goodbye. Good- goodbye now. You ever, did you ever drink beer in high school? Uh, no, not beer, but I do remember having a bag of mushrooms in my refrigerator. <laughs> And I remember you, you mentioned your dog. Yeah. I had a cat, and uh, my cat used to sneak into the refrigerator and he would steal the mushrooms. <laughs> and I, I said, no, and his name was Lewis. I said, Lewis, you can't do that. You can't yeah. do that. It's not right. <laughs> he ate them voraciously. He just loved them. It was like catnip to him. Uh, so, I, so I thought, well, what the heck? I better do it with him. And I remember lying in my bed for hours, <laughs> and Lewis was on the desk across from the bed for hours, uh-huh. staring at each other, <laughs> not moving. Occasionally, he'd go, Meow. but he would stare at me, uh-huh. and I had no doubt that he was my brother. <laughs> wow! But having said that, I uh, I don't do any of that stuff anymore. <laughs> oh my God, that is that is such a story. It is a story. <laughs> and you know what? And the, and the other thing, later in life, when I was completely not doing any of that, mm-hmm. I know he said hi to me. <laughs> I, I used to work late. I would come home late from work, and, and to give him a little treat, I'd, I'd bring him a little can of sardines. Uh-huh. And he would start eating it and be like, and he'd make little sounds to let me know he enjoyed it. He'd go, meow, 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 yeah. meow, meow. Well, that's great. I'm really glad you like it, Lewis. Hi, Lewis. Hi. And he looked up at me and went, Hi. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.